Morning, everybody. Thank you, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Tyson, and uh, I'm so grateful that you are here with us this morning, uh, worshiping and, and uh, spending some time with us as we open up God's Word today. And so thanks for being here today. Um, I don't know about you all, but growing up, uh, I loved a good mystery. Do we have any mystery fans in the room today? In our household, my mom loved mysteries. It was not uncommon for Columbo to be on the TV, for Murder, She Wrote, for Perot, for Miss Marple. And when we would come home for lunch from school, we would often watch Scooby-Doo. And my favorite part of Scooby-Doo was always at the end where the, where the villain would say, and I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those meddling kids. So good. Such, such an awesome show. And I loved watching mystery shows growing up because you're trying to think along with the detective and figure out who can be trusted and who can't. Something is being hidden and there's clues everywhere and you have to sift through the clues. Is this an important clue that I need to pay attention to or is this a red herring that's trying to distract me from what's really important? I would watch the shows and I always loved it when I would figure out the mystery before the detective did. It was so fun to discover what was being hidden, brought into the light, and also for the guilty party to, res to be brought to justice. And I think I'm not alone in actually loving mysteries. I think it's actually a human tendency. There's, in fact, there's actually a show on TV right now called History's Greatest Mysteries. Has anybody seen this show before? Okay, not a lot of History Channel fans in the room, but there's a few. Okay, that's good. History's Greatest Mysteries is hosted by Lawrence Fishburne, and it goes through some of the biggest mysteries that remain unsolved. Like, where is Cleopatra buried? Who was Jack the Ripper? What is up with the Bermuda Triangle? Who was D.B. Cooper, and what happened to him after he robbed that plane in 1971? And maybe most importantly, where is the Holy Grail? It turns out Indiana Jones did not actually find it. It's a great movie, but he did not find it. Now, before we get too far down kind of conspiracy theory avenue, the reason that I'm bringing up these mysteries is because as human beings, we love mysteries. We love hidden things being revealed. We love it when there's the attention that is, is being resolved and there are answers to the mysteries that we're trying to dig into. And in today's passage, the Apostle Paul talks about a mystery that has been made known. So if you have your Bibles with you today, we are going to be turning to Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Uh, and if you don't have your Bibles with you, you can read along with me on the screens here today. Ephesians 3 verse 1 says this, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And, and then that dash right there is kind of like an aside. He kind of pauses his, his thought midstream, and he breaks into this long kind of theological rich passage that goes on all the way to verse 13, but we're only going to go to verse 7 with it today. And he says, assuming that you have heard about the administration of God's grace that he gave me for you, the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to, this, to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. 
The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. And now we're going to jump down to verse 17, which says this. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this word to the Ephesians, and I pray that today, Lord, you would open up our eyes to see what you want us to see in this text, that you would open our ears to hear what you want to say to us, Lord, and that you give us soft hearts to receive what you want to deposit, Lord, and then allow us to be obedient to the word that you give us today. Father, thank you for this time together. I pray that it would be for our benefit and for your honor and your glory. In your name we pray these things. Amen. Now, that second passage that we read from verses 17 to 19 is actually where we get the name of this new series that we're in called Rooted. Verses 14 to 21 of Ephesians chapter 3 are this beautiful prayer that the Apostle Paul prays over the church of Ephesus, and he prays that they would be rooted and firmly established in love. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be walking through Ephesians 3, talking about what it means to be rooted and established in Jesus. Paul prays that we would be rooted, and as we unpack this, we hope that we grow to be more rooted in our time in Ephesians 3. And today, we start our conversation looking at verses 1 to 7, which we read a few moments ago. And we start with one of the major themes of chapter 3, the mystery of Christ. Three times in this chapter, the Apostle Paul uses the word mystery. Uh, First, by revelation, there was made known to me the mystery in verse 3. In verse 4, he says, my insight into the mystery of Christ. In verse 9, he says, the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God. Now, when you and I hear the English word for mystery, typically we understand it to mean that something is hidden, Something is dark, something is secret. When, when something is mysterious, it's hard to explain, or sometimes it's unanswerable. When someone asks a question that you don't know the answer to, you can say, ah, it's a mystery. Like, for instance, will the Vancouver Canucks ever win a cup? <laughs> it's a mystery. It's been 50 plus years, still no. We hope so, as Canucks fans, but it's a mystery. And the Greek word for mystery, mysterion, however, is a little bit different. And it means almost exactly the opposite of how we understand mystery in English. Although it still carries with it the idea of being a secret, it's no longer a guarded or hidden secret, but it's now actually an open secret. And that's why some translators choose to put the phrase open secret in there instead of mystery. The type of mystery that Paul is talking about is not something that is hidden that we have to discover. It means that it used to be hidden, but it has now been revealed by God. The picture that I get here is kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. It used to be in pieces, but now finally the puzzle has been put together. What was hidden, or we partially saw, has now been revealed. 
Which, as an aside, is there any greater feeling in the world than putting the last piece in a puzzle? Oh, it's good stuff. And if you're the type of person who hangs on to that last piece so that you can be the one to put it in. Pastor Levi was talking about confession earlier today, so it's good for you. Don't do that to people. This is what Paul is saying has happened, though. The puzzle has been put together. What has happened in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, what was once hidden has now been, been made as an open secret. And this is what has been revealed. New Testament scholar Mark Roberts points back to Ephesians 1, and he says this is the mystery that's been revealed. That mystery is God's plan to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And then in chapters 2 and 3 of Ephesians, this mystery is centered on the inclusion of the Gentiles among the people of God. Ephesians 1.10 reminds us that what has happened through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is that all things are being put together. All things are being made new and redeemed. What was once broken into many, many pieces, like a jigsaw puzzle, has been brought together in Jesus. And specifically in chapters 2 and 3 of Ephesians, Jews and Gentiles now can come together and worship God as one. Both are united and are on equal ground. And if you know Paul's story, you know that this was not something that he figured out on his own. It was not a mystery that he pieced together by himself. The Apostle Paul actually had this mystery revealed to him by God. We see this powerful revelation take place actually in Acts chapter 9. The Apostle Paul was on, on his way to go persecute Christians. He was on his way to try and shut down the church of Jesus Christ. And he's given, he's given the papers from the high priests to, to go do this. And it says in Acts chapter 9, Meanwhile, Saul, which is Paul's Jewish name, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found there anyone who belonged to the way, which is the earliest name for followers of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Saul is on his way to go persecute the church. In Acts chapter 7, we see that Saul is actually overseeing the death of one of the first Christians, Stephen. And Saul is on his way to continue to persecute Christians, to shut down the church, to stop the movement of Jesus. He was entrenched in his position. He was not interested in any mystery being revealed to him. He did not believe Jesus was the answer to that mystery. And it took an encounter with the risen Jesus and being blinded by Jesus, who he was actively persecuting, for that to change. Which, as an aside here, Paul is such a good reminder to us why it is so important to put into practice what we were talking about last week. Paul is an active enemy of Jesus and his community of followers, yet Jesus steps across the barriers that Paul put up 
and between him and followers of Jesus, between him and Jesus himself, and one encounter with Jesus changed everything. If one encounter with Jesus can change Paul, one encounter with Jesus can change anyone. Do you believe that, church? Paul was actively on his way to go kill Christians and to stop the church. And one encounter with Jesus changed the trajectory of his life and it has still been changing the trajectory of lives ever since. We would not have most of the New Testament without Paul and the good news of Jesus would not have traveled as far as it did to all the Gentiles without the Apostle Paul. And so I want us to think about this. The next time we are tempted to put up a barrier between us and an enemy, let's remember that they might just be the next Apostle Paul. The next time we're ready to put up an enemy, a wall between us and an enemy, let's remember that Jesus stepped over that barrier and went to Paul and he became one of the greatest messengers for the good news of Jesus. When we are tempted to put up barriers between us and others, they might be the Apostle Paul, and let's keep that in our minds. Paul has this mystery revealed to him, and in this passage twice, he says there's a key to unlocking this mystery. Grace. Ephesians 3, 7 says this, I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. Now, Because I love mysteries, one of the things that I enjoy are escape rooms. Do we have anyone who loves escape rooms in the room today? Do we have anyone who hates escape rooms in the room today? I have been to escape rooms with those people. I'm sorry if I've dragged you to an escape room. It's fun for people who want to be there. It's torture for people who don't. But one of the things that I love about escape rooms is that satisfying moment when you find the one clue that makes everything click together. You have bits and pieces of the puzzle, but you find that one key or that one clue that unlocks everything and makes everything fall into place. And Paul in this passage today is saying that grace is the key that has unlocked everything. It's not his religious devotion. It's not his deep knowledge of scripture or his powerful prayer life. It was grace. That was the key that brought what was hidden out into the open. And with grace unlocking this mystery, we see three things come clearly into focus for both his Jewish audience and his Gentile audience, and for us today. First, we see that both groups share an inheritance, Jews and Gentiles. I want you to imagine for a moment today that someone down the road from you has a rich relative that passes away. And as a result of this, they have a massive inheritance that they receive. And one day, you hear this knock on your door, and they tell you that the relative who has passed away has written something into their will. They wrote into their will that they wanted you to be adopted into their family so that you could share the estate. Now pause for a moment. How pumped would you be? (laughs) You have this massive inheritance that you did not see coming at all. You were not part of this family. You have no history there. But yet this person in grace wanted to share their inheritance with you. What amazing grace that would be. Your future would be completely changed. And this is the situation that Gentile Christians find themselves in. What has come through the Jewish family and the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, is not just for that family anymore, but is now available to anyone who wants to become a part of the family. The invitation is available for all people. And today, you and I get to share in this inheritance too. 
Because of God's generous love, he has made us co-heirs of the inheritance of the Jewish family. Connection with the one true God, relationship with that God through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwelling and living within us and life together forever with God are all part of the inheritance that we receive because we have been brought into that family. And if you are a follower of Jesus today, this means that you have an inheritance waiting for you. Is that not good news today, friends? Grace has unlocked that inheritance, and that's the first thing that Paul notes. The second thing that grace unlocks is that both Jews and Gentiles are now members of one body. If you remember back to last week, we talked about walls that were separating Jews and Gentiles in the worship of Israel. There was an outer court that Gentiles were allowed to be in, and Jewish people were given access to be closer to God, while Gentiles were seen as far off. And now Paul is saying that by God's grace, through what Jesus has accomplished, there are no tears within Christianity. There is no inner elite circle while everyone else is second tier or second class. Paul uses the body metaphor many times in his writings to make the point that we cannot simply cut off one part of our body and say it is not important. And sometimes we don't actually realize how important a portion of our body is until we've taken it for granted and it's taken away. You know this by stubbing your pinky toe on something. You're not aware of it, you're not thinking about it at all, and then all of a sudden you hit that bed frame and, and awareness comes flooding in. How much you take for granted, how much you don't think about it, how much you have not even been aware of that part of your body. And what the Apostle Paul is saying, every part of the body matters and every part of the body has a function. Gentiles are no longer second-class citizens in the kingdom. They are limbs and organs of the body of Christ, his church with Jesus as the head, which for, for all of us today is a great reminder. There are no more important people or positions in this church. We are all needed and we are all vital We all have a part to play. Yes, there are some people who are in leadership positions, but Jesus is the head and we are all a part of his body. We all have a part to play and this has been unlocked for us by grace. There are no more important people and less important people. We all have a part to play in being the body of Christ. And the last thing that we see grace unlock in this passage is that both now have an equal share of the promises of God. All of God's promises that have been made to Abraham and his family are now available to everyone in the new family of God. The promises are not just for Jewish people from Abraham's family. They are now available to anyone who puts their hope and their trust in Jesus. Grace has opened up the door to all of Israel's promises. And that's what grace has done. It has opened the door to an inheritance. It has opened the door for us to become part of Jesus' body. And it has opened up an equal share to the promises of God. This is the mystery that has now been unlocked and made available by God's grace. And that's pretty amazing news for those Gentile Christians and for all of us today. We would not be sitting here today if it were not for grace unlocking that mystery. Through Jesus, we have received God's inheritance. We've been brought into his body and we receive the promises of Israel. 
And this is what the grace of God has brought into each one of our lives today. And when we understand this grace and we begin to live in this grace more, our lives and our identity are more and more rooted in Jesus. Our lives and our identity become rooted and take hold more and more in Jesus and what he says about us. And this is what we see clearly happen in the Apostle Paul's life. He explains in this passage how grace has given him a new identity. Paul, in the passage that we read earlier, gives three words to define how he sees himself in light of the grace of Jesus. And those three words are prisoner, a steward, and a minister. So first, a prisoner. In verse 1, Paul says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. And in chapter 4, he's going to repeat this in verse 1. He says, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord. What Paul is saying is because of God's grace, he ends up a prisoner. Is that not good news today? No. It's not one you're signing up for. By God's grace, what grace is unlocked in his life is him being a prisoner. Paul, because of his grace that he's received chooses to respond to that grace by taking the good news to the Gentiles. And because of this, his fellow Jewish people did not like that and they wanted to kill him. And so he ends up appealing to Caesar in Rome for his life to be saved because he was a Roman citizen. And as Paul is writing these words, he is under house arrest in Rome waiting for his trial before Caesar. Paul is a prisoner of Rome in one sense, but if, I don't know if you noticed this, Paul doesn't talk about being Rome's prisoner. He talks about being a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, why does he say that? Paul sees himself as a prisoner of Jesus because he has opened himself up to be used by Jesus in any way. He has surrendered his life and given it to Jesus and will follow Jesus wherever Jesus calls and leads him. I love the way Daryl Johnson sums this up. He says, long before he became Caesar's prisoner, he became Jesus' prisoner. Long before he was taken captive by Nero, he had been taken captive by Jesus. Grace broke through and grabbed a hold of Paul, and for the rest of his life, he speaks of himself as the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Grace took Paul captive. Has it taken you captive today, church? Has it grabbed a hold of your heart? In a way that you can say, I'm going to give all that I am and all that I have to Jesus. Because that's what Paul said. He was a prisoner because grace had taken him captive. And as Paul sat in that Roman prison waiting for his trial, he knew that Jesus was his Lord, not the Roman government. So if he was a prisoner, he was Jesus' prisoner. And by grace, Paul saw himself as a prisoner, completely sold out and captivated by Jesus. The second word for identity that Paul uses in this passage is that Paul saw himself as a steward. In verse 2, it says, If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been given responsibility that you felt the weight of before? Someone trusted you to care for something that was near and dear to them. I felt this most deeply, I would say, when, when the nurse handed me my son for the first time in the hospital. There was this weight, this responsibility for being Bo's dad. 
I'd been entrusted as a steward of my son. I was called to do my best at keeping him alive and passing along the lessons, the keeping him alive part, if you know my son, is not easy. (laughs) He's a bundle of energy and sends everything at 100 all the time. I was called to do my best to pass on the lessons and the grace that I have received, and I'd been called to be a guard and to protect and care for my son. And likewise, the Apostle Paul here is saying that there's a mystery that has become an open secret, that God's love is available to all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, and that has now been entrusted to him, to steward. And today, that same good news has been entrusted to all of us as well. We are now part of a larger story than just our own. We have been grafted into the story of Israel through Jesus We are now part of a long line of people who are blessed by God to be a blessing to this world. And the question is, how are we stewarding this blessing? How are we passing it along to other people and protecting it and caring for it? And when we see Paul's life, we see he was willing to go to great lengths, including jail, to share the message that was entrusted to him with other people. And this is so challenging to me. It causes me to take a look at my life and ask, what have I done with what I've been entrusted with? What has God entrusted me with? Not just the good news of the gospel message, but what has God deposited into my life and given to me? And how have I used it and stewarded it and passed it along to others? So let me ask you, what have you been made a steward of? What has God given to you or made known to you? that you are called to steward and pass along. And specifically, let me speak to those of us in the room today and online who are part of the older crowd, and I will let you self-identify that one. (laughs) What you have been entrusted with, we need in this church. We need you in this church. We need your passion for prayer. We need your passion for the lost. We need your ability to know how to sit with God and be in his presence. We need what has been entrusted to you to be passed on to the next generation. You're not done. We need you. We need you to steward what God has given to you well and pass it on to those who are coming behind you. So please pass along what God has entrusted to you. Our church needs it. Our community needs it. You are a steward. And that's not just for the older crowd in this room today. That's for all of us. God has entrusted things to us. And we are stewards of what he has given. And finally, for Paul, when he understands what grace has unlocked in his life, he sees himself not only as a prisoner for Jesus and a steward, but finally he sees himself as a minister of Jesus. In verse 7, it says, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Now, the word that Paul uses for minister here is the Greek word diakonos, and it's where we get our English word deacon from. But the primary meaning, if you've tuned out, just please tune back in for this, the primary meaning of minister in the New Testament is as a servant. New Testament scholar David Guzik puts it this way, Paul says he is a minister, but that is a title of service, not exaltation. In classical literature of ancient Greece, the minister, diakonos, is a table waiter who is always at the bidding of his customers. 
When you hear the word minister in the New Testament, it is not an exalted and high position. It is a position of bending down and serving someone. It is the picture that Jesus gives us in John chapter 13, where he bends down and washes his disciples' feet. And he says, if you have seen me, your teacher and your Lord do this, go and do likewise. Grace has unlocked this in Paul's life that he sees himself as a servant to Jesus. He sees himself as a servant to the Gentiles, going to them and bringing the good news and being of whatever good he can as he serves them and ministers to them. Grace had grabbed a hold of Paul's life and it was, he was willing to give his life to serve the Gentiles now. Paul's identity was rooted and shaped and molded by Jesus' grace. And one encounter with the risen Jesus changed everything for Paul. It's why he saw himself as a prisoner for Jesus, as a steward of the message of Jesus, and as a minister or servant of Jesus. And as we go, draw to a close today, I just want to go back to where we started. Mysteries. As I said at the start, I love a good mystery. And in every great mystery, the detective looks at the clues. They look at the crime scene. They examine the evidence. They see whose fingerprints might be there. And the question that I was left asking myself with, as I reflected on this passage and reflected on Paul's life, is when people look at my life, what evidence do they see? And I want to ask that to all of us today. When people look at your life, what evidence do they see? Whose fingerprints do they see on your life? If people were trying to piece together a mystery of who we are and what our lives are all about, would they see Jesus? Would they see someone who's willing to go anywhere and do anything for Jesus, even go to prison like Paul? Would they see someone who is stewarding what has been entrusted to them well, like Jesus? Would they see someone who is willing to serve others and bend down and go low, like Paul did and Jesus did? When people look at your life, what evidence do they see? And I'm not asking that question to bring guilt or shame, but for us to pause and to reflect, to ask honestly, to allow the Lord to speak to us and remind us of who we are and that our identity is rooted in him. When people look at our lives, do they see a life grabbed hold of by grace, just like the Apostle Paul? Grace was the key that unlocked the mystery in Paul's life. And the mystery has been revealed today, friends. When we see the goodness, the kindness, the generosity of God, it should grab hold of our lives and change how we see everything, including ourselves. I love that song that we sang earlier. Your goodness is running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender everything. And that's the point that I want us to come to today as a church. Asking, is there anything that I'm holding on to that I have not surrendered? Is there anything that I'm still holding on to thinking that's the way to life, that's the way to freedom, that's the way to hope, but I know that I'm supposed to lay it down before Jesus? Because I want to be able to say of my life and, and all of us to say of our lives, 
that we understand that our identity is rooted in him first and foremost. Amen, church? Let's pray today. If there's anyone in the room today that has not received that grace, not understood that they are loved by God, that God has stepped across the barrier while we were still his enemy, and that he's reached out to you, he wants to give you life and hope and a different future, just like he gave the Apostle Paul. If there's anyone in the room today that's not received that love, and today you're saying, I want to receive that love. I want that to be my story. If that's you today, you can just put up your hand. I'd love to pray for you. If anyone is in the room, you can put up your hand now. Don't want to miss an opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Father, for my friends that put up their hands today, I just pray, Lord, that they would understand and know and see themselves in light of the grace that you have for them first and foremost. That God, that was the difference that unlocked everything for the Apostle Paul. And so I pray that it would unlock everything for my friends in this room today who are saying they want their hope and their trust in you. God, where it has been in something else, maybe in the past where they've looked for answers and hope in something else, I pray that that would be broken today in your name and that today they would walk out knowing where their hope is. It's in you, Jesus. Knowing where, that the mystery has been revealed, that they don't have to look for answers elsewhere, but it's in you, Jesus. So I just pray that for that, those friends today, that that's starting point, that this would be a turning point just like the Apostle Paul on that road to Damascus, a turning point that changed everything in their story. Jesus, for all of us today, I pray that grace would grab hold of our hearts once again. For those of us who have been following Jesus for a long time, and maybe we've grown cold and stagnant in our faith, maybe it has been something that we've put on a shelf for this season, I pray that your grace would grab hold of our hearts once again, that it would change and shape how we see ourselves once again, and that our identities would be rooted and grounded in you, Jesus, first and foremost. And so, God, where that fire has maybe gone out in our soul, I pray for you to spark that flame once again, for us to grab hold of the grace that has already grabbed hold of us and for it to change everything in our lives once again, just like it changed everything for the Apostle Paul. Thank you, Jesus, for your incredible love for us and your mercy and your goodness. And may we live in light of that this week. In your name we pray all these things, amen. Amen. Well, thank you, church, so much for being with us today. We're so glad for you uh, to be a part of this church community. And if you're brand new today, uh, Pastor Levi and James are just over in the Welcome Center. They'd love to talk with you. Uh, again, if you're interested in baptism, love to talk with you as well. We're going to do that next Sunday. Have an amazing week, church, and uh, go and steward what God has given to you well this week.